Penn State wins 44-13 over Ball State. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. This is BWI Live, our Monday recap show. We're going to go through the game, our impressions for the most part of Penn State. I mean, I think we're all okay not recapping how Ball State did. Uh, but me and the guys are here ready to go to give you our impressions of what we saw from Penn State in the Ball State game and so far through two weeks. I'm joined today by the BWI staff, Sands Ryan Snyder. We have Greg Snyder, uh, Greg Pickle, uh, Ryan Snyder, and Greg Snyder. Uh, Nate Bauer down there in the corner and Dave Eckert. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Let's get into it. Let's go over uh, some of your initial thoughts about what happened in the game and how you felt Penn State did in their win over Ball State. Uh, Greg, let's start with you seeing as you are in the proper clockwise fashion on the screen. Sounds good. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to be on with you guys. T. Frank, thanks as always. And I, I look back at this Penn State-Ball State game as kind of a necessary errand, right? So Penn State got a lot of guys into this game, and they were able to get some starters out for, uh, you know, some of the third quarter, most of the fourth quarter. And that was huge, I thought, because obviously it was a grueling win over Wisconsin. You have a big matchup with a physical Auburn team on deck. So you didn't only get a lot of opportunities for guys who maybe haven't had game opportunities before, but you also rested your starters after they performed pretty darn well for most of the game. So could win for Penn State. I know some people wanted more out of it, whether that was either uh, more points or uh, better uh, explosion or things like that. But I take this as a positive for Penn State moving forward. Uh, we'll go down to Nate. What were your large big picture takeaways from the game uh, and from how Penn State had played through two weeks so far? I think, I think it was an opportunity for Penn State to show that it can win in a different way. Right, we're we're starting to see the avenues to wins for this team, whether it be strong defensive performance, explosive plays from the offense, or on Saturday, just kind of taking what they're, uh, you know, just playing a patient, mature game offensively, and you know, really not getting out over their skis, just just taking it as it comes. Um, and so to me. Yeah, the opponent might not be at the level that Penn State is going to see through the rest of the season, but for right now, at least, it, it's a it's a starting point. It's a it, it's a signifier of what they're capable of doing. Yeah, and I think that's a good point that it is the second game in a new offense. And as I said to start the post game show, they beat a MAC opponent in front of 105,000 fans in a sunny Beaver Stadium. That is very much in line with what they're looking for in early September, no matter the year, no matter the circumstances. So you're, you're right to, to the point of finding a way to win and doing it uh, at this point in the season. Dave, we'll go to you to kind of wrap up our, our starting thoughts. What were your initial thoughts of how Penn State played on Saturday and what you've seen from the team so far? Yeah, I left Saturday's game with a, with a similar takeaway under very different circumstances to, to how I kind of left uh, week one. I, I thought Penn State found some interesting ways in the margins uh, to, to get this done, where last season they really didn't do that. You know, they, they, they won the takeaway battle. Uh, Ball State had a really hard time in the red zone. So those are, are, are areas that were problems for Penn State previously, and you look at it, uh, to Greg's point, I'm not sure that they are able to get their starters off their feet in the in the fourth quarter there. If, if uh, you know they don't win the turnover battle, battle they don't uh, give Ball State a really hard time in the red zone. So I think that's really what I came away thinking. 
By the way, if you're here with us live here on YouTube, thank you for joining BWI Live. We do have our chat function enabled, so if you want to ask any questions, throw those in, and we'll be getting to them throughout the show. We have things that we were planning on talking about, but if it's something you want to know about, we'll absolutely answer your questions throughout the show. And if you want to make sure we get your questions and we see them and uh, we answer them, you can use the Super Chat function, which is in your chat box window. All you have to do is make a donation to the channel. I know we've had people ask about that. You may a donation you enter your comment it goes into a special box and we will answer those questions i promise you and then depending on how much that you uh, donate is how long that stays in the super chat and we'll throw them up here on screen as well so get all that set up we'll get ready to go for your questions but uh actually let's start with one right now i'm going to bring this up from john johnstone who's here uh he wants to know and this was going to be my lead question going over to nate uh, he says, is Noah Kane maybe not the right back for this offense? That's certainly a, a thought. That is certainly a thought. But Kevon Lee has been playing very well. Noah Kane has been, uh, you know, contributing throughout the game, I think in positive ways. But Nate, what's your thought on, on that balance so far? Has Kevon Lee proven that he deserves more snaps throughout the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the question has been consistent through the course of the off season pertaining to Penn state's running backs, which is, is anyone going to be the guy, right? Is like, do they have the guy? Uh, and, and I don't know if there's an answer to that because I think that some of the anticipation for Noah King coming off of his injury last season was that, you know, it would create an avenue and an opportunity for the young guys, for Lee and for Kaziah Holmes and for John Law to show something in the spring that would allow them to take forward and differentiate themselves, right? Even even before Kane returned at full strength. Uh, I, I think through the first two games, you know, and based on what he has demonstrated in the past, yeah, I I don't know that Noahine is the electrifying option, but I also don't know if that's necessity. I don't know if that's what this team necessarily needs. This team and and the offense, the way that Penn State wants to play, needs to be in second and five. Yeah, they need to be in second and three. If they are there, that, then that creates so much for Mike Yersich to play with on second and third down. I, I, like, that's the whole thing is, do you have a guy that can get you five yards on first down? And the answer with Kevon Lee is maybe. The answer with Noah Kane is, to me, yes. I, I think that he has demonstrated that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that, I think that, there's there is lots to be determined for this team and for this off in the coming weeks, but I, I'm I'm certainly not in a situation where I would uh, I would say, yeah, it, it's time to abandon the Noah Kane train. Like I, yeah, that's not at all where my head is through the first few games. 
So I want to, first off, we're going to get to a little bit more of that context with uh, Kevon Lee and Noah Kane that I think, Dave, Dave, you you brought this up in our uh, rundown of the show. But before we get to that, Christopher Black says, uh, score for the uh, score Auburn game. Does he want to know the score of the Auburn game? Or we, does he want that? But he does say, thanks, guys. So he donates uh, to the channel 20 bucks for the Super Chat. Thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate that, uh, Christopher. And I think what he wants is for us to give the score of the Auburn game. <laughs> so we're going to stop for just a second. I know that we're, we're getting into Ball State and everything, but uh, he did want to know and he did pony up for that. So um, Dave, can you give me your initial score for the Auburn game? Sure. I'm wondering if... Uh, <laughs> or if he's Chris just excited for it. <laughs> Yeah, or, or if he's intending to use our answers to try to make his twenty bucks back somewhere. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, I just I, I I think if you're asking me right now, I would go twenty eight twenty Penn State. Okay, I think, I think they wins, um, and I think they do it by over. Uh, I think the spread is at six right now. It's kind of been fluctuating mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, so I think they cover too. Greg. Yeah, uh, I didn't really put too much thought into this uh, prior to recording <laughs> here, but um, Auburn's put up a lot of points. I think Penn State's by far, without question, the best defense it'll face to date and the best one of the best defenses it'll face this year. I'm a little bit concerned about the Tigers' pass rush against Penn State's offensive line. We've seen a lot from them, I think, in terms of steps from week one to week two, but would have liked to see more. So I think we're going to see some points in this one. I think Dave's in the right ballpark. I do think Penn State covers. I have it 30-21 Penn State over the Tigers at Beaver Stadium in the whiteout. Well, uh, again, uh, we're still learning how to use Super Chat. We're still learning how to do a lot of stuff. He said, no, he, he didn't want to score. I think he's just super excited for the whiteout game coming up this weekend. So thanks again, Chris. Um, and Nate, Now you... I can change my mind, right? That, that <laughs> yeah. Dave and I get a redo. Is that, is that the case? That was non-binding for anybody. I think both of you guys brought up some great points. And, uh, and, and we're going to talk about Auburn throughout the week. Nate, do you want to give a, a, a prediction here for the Auburn game? Or now that you're free from circumstance, do you want to move on from that? No, I do not want to give a <laughs> prediction. And that was the most panic I've ever felt. <laughs> I, I don't... I, I rocked my brain picks and have had an opportunity to... Uh, what oddshark.com has to uh, level out my my scores in the right frame. So I, I will thank the abstain on this one. Okay, very good. Uh, so we're going to get back to talking about Kevon Lee and Noah Kane uh, because uh, somebody threw in, 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 the, uh, in the chat today, this is from PFF College, highest graded power five running backs in uh, two weeks. Or I'm sorry, in week two, Kevon Lee tops the list. He has an elite grade from PFF. Uh, so I talked about this on the BWI Daily Edition, uh, where we talked about you know why what's gone into that. But basically, to give you a quick breakdown, is uh, he's basically broken a tackle on every single run so far this season. Uh, Greg, is that sustainable from what you've seen of him as a runner and the scene, the progression from week, uh, from year one to year two, can he keep up that pace? Or is this one of those situations where he's got 11 carries on the season? This stuff might even out. Yeah, I, I kind of lean that way a little bit. Look, Penn state has a dynamic running back room. And so it feels like at times 
people want you to pick one guy or the other. And I don't see any reason to do that um, because these guys both play Noah Kane and Kevon Lee, I think are clearly the top two rushers for this team. And they each do things a little bit differently. So, you know, I guess my thought process is there's a reason that Noah Kane has 28 carries and Kevon Lee has 11. And we can sit here and talk about grades all we want and, and things we've seen on film all we want, and that's fine and that's well, but uh, there's nothing wrong with those things. But there's a reason that there's a divide in my mind between the two right now, and that's because Noah Keane does things a little bit more consistently and is a little bit more of a threat in the pass game. Uh, now, I want to we, – we've spent a good number of minutes here on the running backs. I'm going to throw Christopher here again um, just because that was hilarious how that worked out. Uh, but I want to move on to the quarterback situation. And, Greg, I'm going to stick with you on this one uh, because I want to know your evaluation of Sean Clifford through two games so far this year. What have you seen from him as a passer? And if you want to, you can go back to last year and kind of compare and contrast or just keep it to this year from what you've seen. Yeah, so at this point, I think if you would have told Penn State fans coming into the season that Sean Clifford, after two weeks, would have a 62.9% uh, completion percentage, uh, 477 yards through the air, and uh, two touchdowns to no interceptions, they would take it. They would have probably thought a little bit more production would come, especially against Ball State, but ultimately Penn State's found a way to win and put up points through two weeks and John Clifford has not hurt them in that process to do so in fact he's been a major part of the success and the positivity through these first two weeks so you know do you want to see his deep ball get better yes and did we think we'd see more there and we haven't so far of course but all told to me guys I just think that if you were worried about Sean Clifford coming into this season or if you didn't think he could win for Penn State this season, I think you probably feel better about where things stand now. It's not perfect. I'm not saying that it is. And it's not that he's played, you know, two Heisman Trophy level games so far. But at the same time, he's done what he's needed to do. And then a little bit more to get Penn State to win. His accuracy has been a little bit better. And, you know, the big test now is going to be, again, better deep balls, number one. And number two, just making sure the offense is more consistent more of the time. That's not only on him, of course, but as the quarterback, he plays a role in that conversation. Nate, I want to get your thoughts on this because one thing I've pointed out, uh, and this is again in my film study over at bwi.rivals.com, has been some of the inconsistencies. And this is something I was going to ask you whether or not we were on air together or, or if we were. Am I being too hard on Sean Clifford from everything Greg just said? And you've read both of these, you've edited both of these articles I've done so far on Sean Clifford. Am I being too critical of the job he's done so far? That it's tough for me because I've never seen you evaluate songs, right? See how you wait uh, for Auburn's quarterback, uh, right? Like I, I just think that that it's when we when when the approach is so Penn State centric, which it is for us. That's what we do is we evaluate Penn State. I I, I think that a bubble tends to be created where we're, we, we, can't, we can't really see what else is going on out there. And to me, what else is going on out there is that college football quarterbacks aren't very good yeah. on a consistent basis, right? Like on the whole, like that's just, that's what it is. Uh, that's that's the, the level that they're playing at. And so, um, you know, th there's a reason why everyone loses their minds for the top five NFL quarterback get drafted every year. It's because they've separated themselves. Is John Clifford one of those top five? 
spoiler, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yep. Uh, is, is, does he rise to that level? Probably not. But that's not how you build a college football program. That's not like, it doesn't have to be that way that you land just fields in the transfer portal. And so if, if Sean Clifford, right, like there is a, a bottom line element to this of the potential of pieces surrounding Sean Clifford is higher than what Sean Clifford can do on his own. And so if he can deliver and distribute the football to those pieces, Penn state is going to have success. And last year, again, I mean, it's a dead horse, but last year he felt as though he had to himself. Those top were not there. There was no liability, no consistency. A guy had ended more of a detriment than he was a help. Right? Yeah. So don't lose the game. That's don't lose the game. Yeah. And, and to and to that point, For the first Nate, few weeks he, he has not done that. To that point, you know, uh, so PFF tracks all the throws and and for all, those of you who don't know, I work for PFF as well. Um, zero turnover worthy plays. He has not put the ball in harm's way once so far this year. And you know, outside of the deep uh, incompletions, that is probably uh, the only thing in his game so far that has been subpar. Is he's been playing at at, at a par or above par level so far this season. And and to your point. Yeah, most guys aren't the guy. That is kind of the point of all of this is that if you think you found your quarterback, even if you think you found your quarterback in recruiting, remember, most guys aren't the guy. So just keep that in mind. And and that is then how do you win with that guy? I think that's a really fair point. Dave, I want to get back to you on this one because uh, this is something that somebody asked in the chat earlier. I want to pull this up uh, because I thought this was a really good question from uh, Jamie. Jamie asks... Uh, are you seeing Yursich's influence on Sean Clifford? What have you seen so far from from Mike Yursich and how he has uh, changed the offense and maybe some of the philosophies at Penn State? What's your What's your thought on that? Well, look, I think I think it's tough to to really narrow that down because I think Penn State has operated its offense in two very different ways so far. If you look at the Wisconsin game, you know it was chunk plays. It was get the ball over the top of the defense. Um, and then if you look at Ball State, it was the exact opposite. So as far as Yersich's influence, I, I guess when, when everything is so different and we can't really have a tr- – there's no trend for us to like narrow in on, I, I think it's tough to really uh, to really say yes or no to that question. Um, I think I, – I do think that the that turno- turnover-worthy plays stat you just referenced um, with Sean Clifford having zero turnover-worthy plays – I think that's that's an influence of Mike Yersich to be sure, um, because look, uh, you, you know, turnovers are are, you know, they result from mistakes, but they also result from from scheme too. Uh, so yeah, you know, Mike Yersich putting putting Sean Clifford in the right positions uh, to 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 not throw the ball to the other team as he did frequently last season is a big deal. So yeah, I, I would say. In that sense, I, I'm definitely seeing seeing the the influence, but <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure that as far as you know, he's got this great deep ball now, and yeah, uh, you know, I, it's just not. I, I, there, we haven't seen enough yet. Yeah, I think it's fair to say the mental aspect has changed, but Clifford is who he is, and I think that's what Nate was saying when we were going over that. And that's a very fair point. That are you going to change a guy first off this late into his career, and then secondly. 
are you going to change a guy fundamentally in in six months? Probably not. Uh, and and Greg, you mentioned this earlier when uh, Chris got us our faux predictions of Auburn. Uh, you mentioned the Auburn pass rush, and we got our next Super Chat donation. And if you want to get your Super Chat donation in, it's in the comment section. All you have to do is be like Ryan, and you donate however much you want to the channel so that we can keep doing this show on Mondays, and we can impress all the people that need to be impressed, and we can give you this awesome content. All you have to do is uh, donate whatever you feel is uh, appropriate, and then we'll answer your question. It'll come up here in a special box, and I'll throw it up on the screen. I'll ask one of the guys. So, Greg, you mentioned the Auburn pass rush, and Ryan wants to know, um, it, will this offensive line struggle versus the Auburn defensive front, and can Sean Clifford, going off of what they we've just talked about, can he stay mistake-free in that environment? What's your thought about that? That is by far the biggest concern I think if you are a Penn State fan you should have about this game because just like with the Ball State matchup, you know, I feel pretty good about Penn State being able to get its guys in space and letting them run a bit and using that as a way to put up points. But I do have a little bit of a concern up front. This is a very aggressive Auburn front. Derek Mason, the former Vanderbilt head coach, is now the defensive coordinator at Auburn. He's a good schemer. He's a good uh he has a good ability to get his best players in uh, in the pass rush and use them to his advantage on the edge and up the middle and things like that. So, you know, I thought Penn State's offensive line has was better from week one to week two, but I don't know if I see that domination yet that I thought I would from guys like Rasheed Walker, Caden Wallace, Mike Miranda, Juice Scruggs. Um, obviously, Eric Wilson has won the guard battle. That seems to yeah. be pretty clear. Um, so you know you're starting five. And it's not that it's been a weakness of this team so far, in my opinion, but I do think it's maybe not been quite as good as we all thought it was going to be at this point in time. And this week three matchup would be a great time to rise to the occasion and rise to that level because, again, Auburn is going to make things difficult and they are going to spend time in the backfield. And to Dave's point, as when we saw Sean Clifford make his most mistakes a year ago. So, yeah, that's by far the biggest matchup to Looks like we got Greg there. He got he got us most of the way there. Uh, uh, the next thing I want to go, we we've we spent a good number of minutes here on the offense. I want to get quickly your key moments from the Ball State game. What changed the the way this game went, and then I want to get to the defense. So just quickly, we'll go around. Greg, what was your key moment to the game on Saturday? Yeah, Jesse Lucchetta's interception. Obviously, Nate mentioned it on the post game show, but that really put a stamp on this one and took any air Ball State had left in its sails. So. That's the one that stands out to me. Nate, what about you? Yeah, I just I thought it was scoring at the end of the first half. I thought getting getting into the end zone for that last touchdown, um, you know, Jahan Dotson, 25 yards. It didn't it the way that things had gone leading into that, uh, Penn State's offense hit a little bit of a lull. They were moving the ball but not scoring. Um, and so, you know, to be able to capitalize on that opportunity at the end of the first half, I thought that was uh, a, a pretty big turn of events. Dave, take us home. What was your big moment? What was your key moment in the game against Ball State? I'm cheating a little bit here. I have two. Uh, and they were both when uh, they both involved decisions uh, from Ball State's head coach, Mike New, to uh, kick field goals deep in Penn State's territory on fourth down, uh, on fairly manageable fourth downs as well. Impossibly dumb. State and Just impossibly dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're Ball State and you're coming into Beaver Stadium, you're not winning that game without getting seven points from your good drives, you know? Yeah. It just, it felt, 
it, it felt like okay, it's fourteen to three now. You know, it, it, that doesn't do anything. It, it, it's it's it doesn't have the impact that you need if you're Ball State and you're trying to beat a ranked Penn State team on the road. So, uh, with with Greg and Nate taking the uh, the other two options there, I'll go with that. Don't get me yeah, started on settling for field goals, man. I watched a whole team yesterday in the NFL do it, and they lost the game. But don't worry, it was twenty to sixteen or twenty three sixteen, so it felt better. But ugh. yeah, Nate can attest. I was irrationally mad about that whole thing, and I still am. I just, I don't You're understand the shouting. Yeah, I just didn't understand any of that. It's a good pick, Dave. Uh, I want to move on, and we're, Greg, we're going to stay with you because you mentioned you know, the player of the game to you. The play of the game was Jesse Lucchetta. What's his impact on the defense been so far through two weeks? Because I know you you wrote an article about this. Tell us a little bit about that and what you've seen of him so far. Yeah, so I guess the most impressive thing to me, obviously the play on the field has been really good. Everyone's been able to see it, so I don't need to belabor that point too much. When you pull up the stats, he has nine tackles so far, half a tackle for loss, the interception that was returned for a touchdown. You know, I think he's one of Penn State's best defenders through the first two weeks. But maybe the most impressive part of the whole thing to me is that he was willing to make this transition and he didn't pout. He didn't, you know, he could have easily just said, you know what, I've been here a long time and played a lot of football. Why are you guys doing this? Instead, he embraced it and it's really made a difference both for him and for this Penn State defense through um, a pair of victories. So been really impressed with him. He's just aggressive on the end when he plays end. You know, obviously I think you want to limit how many snaps he gets at linebacker during a game. They didn't have a choice in the first half against Ball State. But yeah, I've been really impressed by what we've seen from him and how he's performed so far. And there's just no question about it. He is one of the best defenders they've had after uh, for a couple games. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've, I've commented a couple times that all of his skills seem to be unlocked when he has someone in his face. If there's someone here, he becomes a, a, a different player when he's got a, a very singular objective. So it, it's been fascinating to watch all of those skills and what Penn State saw in him as a recruit and as an athlete. He's able to transition that to the field. Dave, I want to ask you about another guy who has stood out, and that's Daquan Hardy uh, in the slot. Is this a is this a ball state bump or is this a big leap in year two for the young corner playing you know in that slot position? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I I think he was decent enough against Wisconsin. I didn't think he was a liability or anything. I thought he was fine. So you know to to come away with an interception against Ball State that's big for him. That's big for his confidence. He's definitely a guy that we should be monitoring moving forward. I'm not ready to call him a breakout star yet or anything, but. Yeah, big moment for him. He's a great story, you know. I mean, he's a guy that Penn State offered very late. Um, so, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how he gets on, but I'm not ready to really make any broad uh, declarations about Daquan Hardy just yet. We're talking about the Penn State defense through two games so far here on the BWI live show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Get your questions into the chat box. We've got a couple up right now. One thing we are doing here, and we've got a couple already today, thanks again to Chris and to Ryan, who donated through the Super Chat function. If you want to do that and ask your question, we'll get to your question. We'll make sure that we answer it here live on air as we break down Penn State as they transition into the game versus Auburn. We are putting a bow. We're going to still talk a little bit about the Ball State game, put a bow on that and give our thoughts so far of what we've seen two games into the season so uh let's see we got Hisaria here he wants to know it seems like the offense doesn't involve the tight ends as much as previously is that fair to say and is that recruiting and uh, how will that impact recruiting Nate what, what do you think has it been that they've been not used as much or that they've been ineffective I am 
I am definitely not willing to project out to recruiting <laughs> yet based on based on I'm the performances of games. the first you, you want Greg, to, Greg? Greg, you, you want can, to do it? You can take that. Yeah, let me tell you something. <laughs> the first two weeks do not change anything when it comes to Penn State tight end recruiting. I I feel pretty yeah. good about that, and I'll turn it back to Nate now. But I would not be worried about that just yet. No, Nate, I, you have the floor. I, I think I think the fact that they're on the field as much as they are suggests strongly that Penn State and Mike Yurcich, whether it's they might not have uh, the receptions that they have posted in the past statistically, but it, it is very plain to see. And, and again, you're talking about public comments that have been effusive in their praise for the talent that they have in that room, but it's backed up by their usage, yeah. by the snap count, right? The snap count says, hey, they trust these guys to be on the field and to do what they needed them to do, um, it, it's just gonna. It, it is gonna be interesting to me to see when red zone opportunities start to pop up, when the other receivers m- might be taken away, if those elements start to come to fruition. Uh, y- you know, can those guys catch the ball if they need to be caught? Right, like if those yeah. are the guys who need to catch it. Um, that's that's what's gonna be interesting for me to see. Uh, before we get back to some of the other things that came out of the Penn State Ball State game that I think are interesting. I want to answer this question John put in the chat because this was something that James said after the game that I thought was uh, I knew some people were going to take this a certain way. James Franklin said that penalties don't really decide who wins. Uh, Are you surprised by that comment? I'll start with this one. If you hit explosive plays and you put up 24 points in the half, it doesn't matter if you have three false starts. Now, if you aren't doing that, then yes, penalties come into play. And there are games where specifically if you have 10 penalties for 130 yards, you can shoot yourself into the foot to the point that you don't win the game. But if you take care of the other things that he's talked about, turnovers and explosive plays, penalties become irrelevant. And that's how I think that's the biggest thing is a lot of times when we talk about football and we this old school mentality of where's the fullback, are you under center, and did you run 30 times, you're limiting your explosive plays, so then you have to be perfect everywhere else. So that's where that, to me, that's where that narrative comes in as far as do penalties matter. You want to be a good disciplined football team. You don't want to create penalties. But if you create points, that's the ball game. Literally, that's the ball game. Create as many points as possible. Um, I, you know... I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but Dave, what are your thoughts on that? And and do you do you think that there's anything to that? Yeah, I think I think you really hit the nail on the head. Um, I I think what James was going for when he said that was penalties are less impactful on the result of the game than explosive plays and turnovers. Yeah, I don't think he was trying to say that penalties are great and we should go out and commit forty <laughs> pass interference penalties every punch a dude in the I face. I don't think that's what he was trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, just keep it simple there. I think think you hit the nail on the head. I'm going to come back to you on this one. Jaquan Brisker played 20 snaps according to PFF. You concerned about his availability and his durability at this point, seeing as Tyler Rudolph is going to miss the first half of the next game, and we don't know anything to answer one of the questions. We haven't heard anything about Keaton Ellis and his availability outside of what we heard already. Are you concerned about that situation heading into the game, or was that plan so that you could get him some snaps off in that ball state game yeah i I, i'm monitoring it i I don't know that i think that 
Penn State certainly to have gotten him out of the game whenever possible yesterday, given what he had to, what he endured against Wisconsin, because he was obviously banged up, right? We're not speculating there. He had some problems against Wisconsin. Yeah. So if you're Penn State, it makes sense for him to stay off his feet a little bit in a game where you, you should roll, and they did roll. But definitely something to monitor and, and something that I'm sure James Franklin will be asked about this week. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's a five-alarm fire, but I, I would say I'm slightly concerned, definitely. Uh, Nate, what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, anytime that a preseason All-American is in any way uh, in jeopardy in terms of their availability, that should that should pique your interest. Um, and, and so the fact that he had three injury timeouts in that Wisconsin game, I think immediately raised some level of concern. Now, it, you know, how much of that was cramping versus what we saw on TV, which was them appearing to be working on a shoulder or an arm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just think, look, I- injuries happen. Uh, but for Penn State, given what this kid is capable of doing and his impact on that defense as a whole, right? It's it's all interrelated. It, it all connects. And so if your pass rush isn't that strong, but you have a safety who has the talent that Jaquan Brisker has, they can start, he can start to erase some of those uh, inefficiencies or inabilities that, that exist in other areas. So yeah, no, I, I'm going to be looking for Jaquan Brisker. No doubt about it. This is BWI live. We're here on our Monday recap show of everything we saw at ball state and projecting a little bit, talking a little bit about Auburn uh, Dave, I'm sorry, Greg, I want to I want to finish with you. Any other defensive thoughts uh, before we get into some of the other things and then wrap up the show? So is there anything from the defensive side of the ball we didn't cover today that stood out to you or that you want to mention before we move on? No, I don't think so. I pretty much covered all bases. And, you know, again, the pass rush is going to be so important in this game, not letting out Auburn's Bo Nix get comfortable. So uh, it'll be one of the storylines we talk about quite a bit this week. And uh, Ryan actually asks a great question. He's another guy throwing us uh, a bone here in the Super Chat. So thanks again, Ryan. That's super awesome of you. Uh, We need to talk about special teams because some more kicking problems from Jordan Stout. And that's what I want to start here kind of with our last thoughts heading into this whiteout game against another Power 5 program. Uh, He asks, with seeing Pinnaker take some kicks versus Ball State, does that mean this is a kicking by committee situation, or is it still Stout's job to lose? Um, Nate, let's start with you. What are your thoughts so far on the kicking situation, which has been what, when we talked about this earlier in the year, I thought this was a pretty much done deal. But at this point, it seems like it's it's a problem more so than I was expecting. What's your thoughts about this situation? So uh, just from the start to clear something up, I, I don't think Pinnegar actually got any kicks on Saturday. I think that the I didn't broadcast. Think so yeah, well, no, but I think that the broadcast, just based on what I read, the broadcast at one point mis-announced him as having taken one of the PATs or one of the field goals um, because I had actually had somebody ask me uh, about that separate from this. So it's still Jordan Stout. It's just a question of... Uh, all right, how many are you willing to live with And uh, in terms of misses? And obviously he missed a 45-yarder on Saturday. Um, you know, but I, I will say this. If I have seen or heard or learned anything from James Franklin in his 
now eight-year tenure at Penn State is, look, the games matter for sure, but he does not let that dictate what he does over the broader picture, right? And so for, for field goals, they have such an enormous data set to work with that, yeah, what Jake Pinniger and Jordan South do in practice, all of those kicks, all of those different uh, critical situations that they put them into, um, it, it has to be a striking differential in my mind. There, there has to be a striking differential for them to have made the decision that they've already made. Uh, and so I don't see a couple of missed kicks at this point in the season being enough to change their mind about how they proceed moving forward. Uh, Dave, I'm coming to you on this one. I want to know your opinion on what you think of this situation of Jordan Stout doing everything, being the kickoff guy, being the punt guy, being the kicker. Is that too, do you think that's been too much on his plate and that's why we're seeing this? Or is this just as, as Nate said, this is something different than what they're seeing in practice? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I think Penn State is wary about asking him to do all of this. I think that in an ideal world, he wouldn't be asked to, to do all of this. You know, I, I, I think they've, they've talked previously about kickers kind of having the equivalent of pitch counts on their legs. Uh, for when it comes to practice reps, when it comes to game reps and, and that kind of thing. So I don't think that Jordan Stout would be doing all of this if they didn't feel like he was the very best option for them in all of those areas. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think the, the special teams issues are a concern. They are the type of thing that can lose you a game like Auburn, for example, if the, the margins are a little bit closer um and you know they almost lost penn state the game against wisconsin if wisconsin had punched in one of those uh one of those two drives towards the end there so yeah i don't know it's it's tough i I think but but again i think just thinking about why things are the way they are certainly Penn state is getting some kind of information as nate alluded to 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 have jordan stout in all of these roles because i i don't think that is their ideal scenario we're just going to be here live for a few more minutes on YouTube. Thank you to everyone who's been here with us on BWI Live for our recap show. And thank you again to the guys that have donated into our Super Chat. We have uh, Chris has asked another question, and I think this is a good one. I want to go to Greg. You're one of our re- recruiting reporters here. Um, for National Image, which end up playing into recruiting, just for fun, which has a bigger impact on our National Image, the Whiteout Game on TV or ESPN Game Day? coming to happy valley which one do you think between the two yeah it's not a bad question at all but it's definitely the whiteout and i can tell you why so when you ask kids what game they want to come to you could have read uh you could have gotten this impression from ryan snyder's uh recruiting mailbag at bwi.rivals.com last week but guys who could have come for ball state instead decided to wait and come for auburn because it's the whiteout because fans have heard players rather have heard so much about how crazy the fans are during that game so game day helps in terms of being able to show guys that can't come what penn state's doing a little bit more behind the scenes and that is never a bad thing but there's no question that when kirk curb street uh, that video he took of the whiteout from i think 2019 and he shares it like every like month it feels like on social media (laughs) 
um, that is just a, the kind of branding that you can't pay for and the kind of advertising and promotion that you just can't pay for. So it's a fair question, but the whiteout game is definitely the answer there. And if I can just go back to the last point um, on the special team stuff, I, I would just add this to what the guy said, which I think is spot on. But, you know, when we talk about backups and starters and changing things and blah, 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 you know, I think it's important to just remember that they – they're not making they're not not making a change just because they don't feel like it or you know they're not going to make a change conversely just for the sake of doing so and yeah i think you have to ask yourself not why do they keep sticking with jordan stout but rather what is jake pinniger doing in practice any games that has put him in a position to not have any part of this role yeah that's a good point because he did last year so they had to make the decision to remove him which it's always harder to make a decision than to not make a decision. So that's a very fair point. Uh, like I said, just a couple more minutes here. I want to get your first impressions on the game coming up this weekend. Greg, you mentioned, uh, we'll get to you last because I think you've already get, tipped your hand a couple times of what you think is going to be a big part of this. Uh, Nate, give me your first impressions, just kind of a broad view of uh, what you think will be a difference maker for Penn State and Auburn. 7.30 kick, I believe it is, during the whiteout game. Yeah, I... <laughs> Look, I mean, I think that it's a question of what type of a game is this going to be, right? The fact that we've seen two very different styles uh, in the first two weeks for Penn State uh, say to me that Penn State is capable of doing both. But, you know, I, honestly, like, I have no way of knowing if Auburn and it's, what, 62 points a game, 60 points a game average – through the first two, like, what does that mean? What is right? Akron what, and what, Alabama State. What, what does that mean? What does that What does that mean for a Penn State defense that I think is uh, now I'm a believer. I think is very good uh, and has the opportunity to continue to be very good. So I, I just I don't really have a feel or a sense um, of oh, okay. Should Should you expect this Penn State defense to give up? what, 24 points, right? Like, like that, I think that might be a high number for this defense through the season, giving up 24 points. Um, and is Penn State capable against Auburn's defense of besting that, right? Is this, is this, is this an offense that Wisconsin's defense was so good that they limited Penn State's offense to 16 points or Penn State's offense could have these environments and could have these situations where they can't up 20, right? To me, I saw a Penn State offense that would have gotten to 20 easily in the second half of that Wisconsin game, uh, right? So, okay, that's 20 in the second half without really doing anything spectacular uh, were it not for the missed field goal and the missed PAT. All right, give them the first half of competency offensively and what does this offense look like? I mean, I, I hate to put it in those terms, but like it's always about the numbers. And the numbers to me suggest that this is a Penn State offense that when it's not making mistakes, which it has not done so far, is very, very capable of getting into the 30s and 40s, yeah. uh, even against pretty good defenses. So that's that's what I'm going to be looking for. On any given night, if Sean Clifford hits 35% of his deep throws instead of 20 or 15, they can put up 21 points pretty quickly. And I think that's that's been pretty clear so far through two weeks. Dave, uh, quick thoughts here about what you're looking for. Is there a matchup or is there a situation or your broad view of what's coming up with Auburn? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm looking at Penn State's run defense against Tank Bigsby. I think that's really important. 
Um, you know, I obviously, I think if there is one aspect of the Penn State defense that isn't, uh, you know, bulletproof, I think I think that might be it. I'm I'm not obviously Wisconsin ran the ball pretty well against Penn State, but that's Wisconsin. So, is Auburn going to be able to come here and do that? I'm not sure. Uh, and then just kind of looking at it from an Auburn perspective, we we talk all the time about Sean Clifford playing mistake-free football because it's crucial. It has to happen for Penn State to win football games. Um, I think asking Bo Nix to come into a, a whiteout environment and, and play mistake-free football is asking a lot. So I think <laughs> his ability to kind of handle that and handle the atmosphere is, is going to be interesting and important those are kind of the two things that i'm looking at to, to answer your question from about half an hour ago nate i i watched some bo nicks i've watched him over his career doing some games doing some data collection um he's gotten better but at this point he has risen to level of being sean clifford of the sec so very much the similar situation of a guy that can hit some throws when they're there and if he's in rhythm he can hit throws but you're not getting advanced football play from a guy like bo nicks and i think dave hit, hit it on the head there of which quarterback is going to make fewer mistakes. That'd be kind of what I'm looking for in this game. Greg, take us home. What are you looking for in this game from Penn State and Auburn? Your quick thoughts on what you're looking at. Yeah, to me, it all comes down to the rush, the ground game for both sides. As Dave said, can Penn State stop Auburn's heavy rush attack? And can the Lions offensive line move enough mass to get their run game going, which they weren't able to do really at all at Wisconsin? Those are the keys to me. Whoever wins the ground game battle is going to win this football game. Penn State is going to have the advantage of a whiteout crowd behind it when it's on defense, and it's going to have the advantage of already facing a very tough front seven in Wisconsin. So I think those two things are good, whereas Auburn's played next to nobody uh, at this point. So, yeah, but to me, that's what it comes down to, how the fronts fare. And if Penn State can win the ground game, it's going to win this game. Thank you again to everyone who uh, participated today in BWI Live. I want to thank Greg Pickle, Nate Bauer, and Dave Eckert for giving their thoughts and analysis on Penn State through two weeks. They defeated Ball State 44-13. Now a whiteout game coming up next at Beaver Stadium. Prime time. We will have more coverage on that this week, both in the BWI Daily Edition and, of course, post-game on our BWI Live show, which goes 15 minutes after the conclusion of every game so far this football season. And if you want to see more from the guys, Blue White Illustrated, bwi.rivals.com. We will be back here every Monday at noon to give you our recap of the games, give you what happened, our thoughts and analysis. And again, thank you to Chris and Ryan for donating to our Super Chat function. We appreciate those donations, keeping this, uh, keeping this tugboat afloat. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We will be back soon.